Hebrews 4, 1-16 Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested to the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you for the reading. Uh, you know, it's it's a little hard to see everybody, but um, you know, maybe that's to your advantage. Uh, I'm gonna do my best to maybe look at everybody. Uh, you know, where there's no formal series planned, and uh, you know, summer is usually a time where a lot of people are just kind of in and out and going on different trips, going on different vacations. So uh, I thought instead of just doing a formal series. Uh, we would just kind of do these like individual one-off sermons, and every time I preach, what I want to do is I want to try to hit on a particular spiritual discipline or a particular spiritual habit that I'd like to encourage us with. And it's kind of like going back to the basics or like the fundamentals. So if you are an athlete and you play a sport, uh, it's always good to go back and revisit the fundamentals and remind ourselves why these things are important. And if you're not a Christian, maybe hopefully you'll understand why Christian practice uh, Christians practice certain things. And so. Uh, before we get started with, I think this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, actually. Uh, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to bless this time. God, we thank you that you give us this word, and we thank you that it is filled with such great encouragement. But at the same time, we know that this passage is filled with great warning as well. And we pray that we would take heed to the warnings, but at the same time, we would uh, embrace and remember and treasure the great promises and the good news that we find in here. And for that, God, we need your help. We need this Holy Spirit to not only uh, fill our minds, but ultimately to uh, transform our hearts. And so we pray that you would do that today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, 
it's important to cultivate good spiritual habits. And one of the things that I was mentioning last week is uh, it's important to cultivate spiritual habits so that we don't depart from the faith. And that's something that we looked at in the passage last week. And interestingly enough, uh, if you look at chapter 3, which was not what part of what we read today, uh, the author basically says something similar that we saw last week. And he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And there is all these warnings uh, throughout different parts of Scripture about don't fall away, don't fall away. And one of the things that it seems to do or Scripture seems to do is direct us to strive for certain things, to toil for certain things or to practice certain things and to put it maybe in a little bit more contemporary language, to build into our lives certain habits and certain routines that are so important in order for us to persevere in the Christian faith. Now, Today, what I wanted to do is I want to talk about this discipline of uh, rest or this habit of rest. And I think one of the challenges for me is uh, I have to be careful in how I use the word rest because uh, not only does it mean different things to different people, but it also means different things in this passage. So uh, let me start by doing this and giving you a little bit of a roadmap in terms of the flow of the sermon. And, you know, I don't know if you pay attention, but it's been a while since I've done three points. Uh, I'm experimenting and trying to do away with that. Uh, so I don't have three points, but this is basically the roadmap in which we're going to take. And uh, first, what I want to do is we're going we're gonna to talk about basically this need for rest, our need for rest, and then we're going to look at the Old Testament a little bit and see how uh, the Old Testament understood rest. And then we're going to look at another kind of rest, a deeper spiritual rest, and we're going to end by talking about the importance of worshiping on Sunday. And that last point may be like, where does that come from? But I hope it'll make sense by the time we get to the end of the passage. And uh, as we start, you know, one of the basic necessities of being a human is this, that humans need rest. And I think New York culture in particular tends to promote this mentality that says rest is optional or rest is for the weak. And so what we do is we push ourselves to these limits, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, and we uh, deny ourselves this very basic necessity that we need. Now, for those of you who uh, have children, uh, you probably know that there is no such thing as sleeping in anymore. There's no such thing as catching up on sleep anymore. And when you come home from work, you have more work to do. And you have to clean, then you have to cook, then you have to clean, then you have to bathe the child, then you have to clean and then you pass out on the couch or you pass out on the bed, right? And so uh, I think as we get older, this, uh, this physical rest, maybe it, it feels like it can get a little bit more elusive. And then as children get older, I think what we tend to do is we're going to probably be tempted to uh, make our kids really busy and fill their schedules because we think that if their schedules aren't filled with all these activities, then they're going to fall behind all the other kids. And so we kind of uh, put this uh, maybe a little insecurity that we have upon uh, children. And uh, there's this constant culture, this constant cycle of just really pushing ourselves to the limits, denying rest, denying rest. And so because of all of these pressures, whether it's uh, New York pressure, whether it's cultural pressure, whether it's work pressure, whether it's parenting pressure, or it could just be self-imposed pressure, uh, it does feel like that people are always just pushing themselves to the limit to avoid rest. And maybe that's why the Bible has to actually command rest. 
Now, have you ever thought about this? Why is observing the Sabbath day and resting from labor one of the Ten Commandments? Why is it so significant that God would have included it in there? And maybe it's because of this, because uh, we might try or be tempted to deny ourselves this one basic necessity to rest. I'll tell you for me, these uh, past maybe two or three weeks have been uh, a very busy season, and it has been a very tiring season for a variety of reasons. Uh, it was just a busy season, I think, in terms of church. It was a busy season in terms of uh, our family because we just moved into a new place. There's a million things going on. Uh, our family, not only that, was sick maybe about two weeks ago. And even though all of these things were going on, I found myself, I just couldn't stop and I just couldn't rest. And my wife kept telling me, right, just take a break, right, just take a break. I'd be home and trying to build all this furniture. Or I'd be home trying to unpack uh, late into the night, and I, I just couldn't stop doing something. And my my wife would just be like, you, know, just, you just need to chill out, right? You just need to stop and rest. And I couldn't do it. You know, even though my body was telling me, you guys you just need to rest. You just need to uh, stop doing things. And, uh, you know, my body was telling me because I started getting these nosebleeds. And uh, that should have been a sign that, you know, maybe I should uh, take a break. But I refused to do so. And uh, I think in our culture, it's very easy to think, wow, that is such a noble thing, right? That is such a noble thing. But, you know, in the rea- in reality of it is that's actually uh, pride. It's pride of heart. You see, I think for myself, it was probably a pride of thinking, you know, I don't need to rest. Uh, I, can, I can do it all. I'm, I'm super strong. I'm amazing. There's this pastor named C.J. Mahaney, and he wrote a book on humility. And I was trying to find this book, but because uh, we were unpacking and we moved, I couldn't find this book. But I do remember there was a passage in this book where he does talk about sleep. And he says that, you know, sleep is one of the most humble things that we can do. Why? Because when we sleep, what we're saying is this, that we are dependent creatures who have limitations. Sleep says that, you know what, the world won't fall apart if I go to sleep and get some rest. Sleep is an expression of trust in a sovereign God who is in control of the world and in control of our lives. In Psalm chapter 3, when David is being pursued, he's filled with a lot of fear and anxiety, but then he prays to God and he remembers this, that God is his shield. And after that, he does something profound. He lays down and he sleeps. You see, for David, his ability to sleep was a deep expression of trust for God. And when we deny our need for rest, ultimately it's an expression of pride. When we say rest is optional, we're not submitting to the limitations of who we are as created beings. When we refuse to rest, it may feel noble because of our culture's values, but it's an indication that there is deep-seated pride within our hearts. Now, in addition to physical rest, there's actually a need for another kind of rest and a deeper kind of rest. And if you've been following uh, the news um, in the past week, past couple weeks, I should say, uh, you know, I think it gives us an example of the deeper kind of rest that we need. Uh, you know, last week after uh, the Dallas uh, shootings and everything that happened in Dallas, I read this editorial by this guy named Jim Mitchell of the Dallas Morning News. And I thought uh, his editorial summed up maybe some of the things that people are generally feeling uh, in their hearts. And this is what he writes. It's a little bit long, but I think it's well worth uh, the read. He says this, Today, I'm feeling what the late Mississippi civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer so eloquently expressed during the darkest days of the civil rights struggle. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
Yes, I am sick and tired of gut-wrenching officer-involved shootings like those captured on video in Louisiana and Minnesota, and now of the methodical assassination of Dallas police officers who were doing their jobs properly protecting citizens at a rally. Yes, I am sick and tired of emotionally weeping every few weeks because of the acts of a madman at a church or school or worrying as police lock down a public facility in search of a possible gunman. I am also sick and tired of rapid rushes to judgment, polar political opposites exploiting moments of pain, of code, coded language suggesting that every black man is a criminal and every police officer violates civil liberties. Justice for all means justice for all. I am sick and tired that we can dissent over something so fundamental. You know, if you were to write this article today, you know what he would add? I'm just so sick and tired of hearing this news from France about how some maniac drove a truck and killed over 80 people. Uh, I'm so sick and tired of just hearing another uh, incident today in uh, Baton Rouge where three police officers were killed. And when we, ex when we experience the brokenness of this world, uh, it can wear us down. Uh, injustice, hatred, division, anger, countless deaths, meaningless deaths, gives us this different kind of tiredness, I think, that even physical rest can't touch and physical rest can't ultimately alleviate. And to that, it points to a deeper rest that we all need. And when you add all the junk that we experience in our personal lives, uh, the loss of loved ones, the pain of broken relationships, the frustration of our own insecurities, the ugliness of pride, the despair of broken dreams, the despondency of an unsatisfied life, and the list goes on and on, it tells us this, that we need deeper rest. And the reason we need a deeper rest is because we have something, this world has something that the Bible calls sin. And that's why in 3.13 it says, But exhort, every, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has the ability to harden hearts. Sin has the ability to make us tired and weary. And that's why we need rest. But I want to draw your attention to how the word rest is used. And uh, I think what makes this passage a little bit difficult is that the word rest is not used uh, in the same way every time the author uses it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like what I did. I did something similar. I began by talking about rest in a physical sense, and then I moved and I defined rest a little bit differently by talking about it in a, uh, in a deeper sense. And if you notice, the author of Hebrews, when he uses rest, he uses it differently uh, almost each time he uses it. So it begins, and the author, he's quoting Psalm 95, and in a way he's kind of giving his own little sermon on Psalm 95. And he proceeds to talk about how the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they're an example of what not to do, and this begins in chapter 3. And when Israel is in the wilderness, their hearts are hardened and they rebelled, and as a result, God swore that they would never enter his rest. Now, how is rest being used here? Rest is being used here as talking about entrance into the promised land. In Joshua 1.13, Joshua tells the people, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And so from Joshua's perspective, attainment of this promised land was God's way of providing rest for his people. But here's the thing. Joshua actually successfully led the people of Israel into the promised land. But then we read in this passage in chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And what that seems to imply is that even though Joshua led the people of Israel to the promised land, 
even though in a way that they, att they attained God's rest, the author of Hebrews seems to be implying that they were not really given the, the true rest that God had intended them to receive. So if rest is not mere physical rest, if rest is not simply about entering into the promised land, then how does this passage understand rest? And I think we find our answer in chapter 4, verse 9, and it says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, <clears throat> up until now, uh, I'm going to talk a, a little Greek, but up until now, uh, the Greek word being used for rest was karapausis. But in verse 9, there's a very different word used for rest, and that, this word is sabbatismos, which means Sabbath rest. And what is Sabbath rest? On the Old Testament, Sabbath rest was a day that was set apart from the rest of the days, and you're supposed to rest physically from one's labor. And the context here tells us that it's defined a little bit differently because verse 9 indicates that there is actually a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. And what is God's rest? It is a deep spiritual rest found in being in the presence of God. And let me say, by the way, how did I get there? I am skipping a lot of theological steps to get to that conclusion for the sake of time. But I think ultimately that's what it means. That's what Sabbath rest means. It is this deep spiritual rest that we ultimately find being in God's presence. And I think that's what the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament is pointing to. That is a rest that all of creation needs. It's a deep spiritual rest that gives us rest from being tired. It's a deep spiritual rest that gives us rest from being tired of being tired. It's a deep spiritual rest that gives us rest from our search for identity, from the weight of guilt, from all of these things that weigh us down because of our sin. And the question is, how then do we get that kind of rest? If that is indeed the rest that we all need, how do we get it? Well, in verses 12 and 13, we're told this, that the word of God discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden, but we are all naked and exposed and must give account. And this reminds us of the early chapters of Genesis where Adam and Eve were naked after they disobeyed God and they were utterly ashamed. And similarly, we are a people who are naked and exposed before God. And if you look at the language here, it's a little violent. In the word, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And again, in the Greek, that word exposed is, uh, I found this word about three years ago, and I've determined it is my least favorite Greek word, but it is a word trachelitso, and I think that's where we get the word trachea. And I was reading one of the commentaries, and basically it's, uh, it conjures up this imagery of exposing one's neck. Right? It's, it's the least favorite word of mine because I have this weird neck phobia, and I don't like anything touching my neck, or I don't like exposing my neck. I don't like horror movies where somebody, you know, and I always turn my head and close my eyes uh, at those kind of things. But I think what it's meant to kind of conjure in terms of imagery is, uh, you know, think about an animal sacrifice and how you kill an animal sacrifice and you expose the neck. You take the head back and maybe you expose the neck and, and slice the neck and how exposed this animal might be. And... Uh, <clears throat> I think if we have this true understanding of yourself, then I think what it's saying here, that we are exposed, that we are utterly naked before a holy God, it has to be a frightening thought to all of us, I would say. 
But if we read the very next verse, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. See, as I mentioned before, what did priests do in the Old Testament? One of the things that they had to do is they had to offer sacrifices, the sacrifices of animals on behalf of the people to atone for sin. And what this is saying is this, that Jesus is our great high priest. And what does Jesus offer as our great high priest as a sacrifice? He offers himself. He offers himself to atone for our sins. He is the one who dies the death that we deserve. He is the one who hangs naked and ashamed on a cross. He is the one who exposes his neck, so to speak, for us. And the conclusion of that is this. It means this, that we can have rest. We can have rest. This deep spiritual rest that we all need, it's attainable. Not only is it attainable, it is offered and given freely to us because of what Christ has done. You know, according to the Gospel of John, when Jesus breathed his last breath as he hung upon the cross, he said this, it is finished. It is finished. Meaning what? His work is finished. His work of redemption was finished. When God finished the work of creation, what did he do? He rested. When Jesus finished the work of redemption, what happens? we are able to now rest in him. And he invites us to find that rest in him. And as Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, ultimately, we find and experience the rest that we need, not, not from going on vacation, although that's good, not from uh, whatever else uh, we might do and fill our schedules with, although those things are good, but ultimately we find the rest that we need in Christ and in the message of the gospel. I want to point something out here. You know, last week I said this, uh, when it comes to godliness, it's not something that's passive, but it's actually something that takes work. It's something that we are to toil and to strive for. Uh, similarly, in verse 11, you have this exhortation when it comes to rest, and the author of Hebrews says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now, it sounds a little bit unusual to say you have to strive to enter that rest, but I actually think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I have the kind of personality where I actually find it hard to relax, and I actually find it difficult to rest. And I think there is this restlessness inside of me that always feels like I need to be doing something productive, and oftentimes it's just really hard to shut off my mind. And, uh, you know, my wife will tell you this, but one of my odd habits is when I go to sleep, I have to have one uh, headphone in my ear and I have to be listening to something like a podcast or something because uh, if I don't, I, I, my mind is just thinking about so many things, I just can't fall asleep. That's me, right? I know everybody is not wired that way, but I have a hard time to rest. But here's the thing. What, here's what I discovered about myself. You know how I actually experience or one of the ways I actually experience rest is not by doing nothing, but it's actually by being active and doing something that I find restful. And you might find this a little strange, but that activity for me is painting. <laughs> I don't do it often. But, you know, when I paint, you know, I don't really care about how the painting turns out. But I'm, I'm just very focused and concentrated on painting. And it is just a very relaxing thing for me to do. And uh, I think in a similar way, the way we actually strive to enter this rest, the way we actually uh, experience this rest is not just by doing nothing and by, by being inactive, I think we actually experience it by being active in the right thing. 
I think it's when we strive to enter that rest, when we come here on Sundays in gathered worship, that this is, this is God's way of us, for us to experience that deep rest in the gospel that all of us so desperately need. You know, again, we're talking about forming good spiritual habits, and uh, as we do, uh, here's what I don't want you to think about it when you think about spiritual habits. I don't want you to think about spiritual habits as, oh, I need to do these things to be a good Christian. Oh, I need to do these things so I can just check it off my checklist. Uh, just because you come to church every Sunday doesn't necessarily make you a good, faithful Christian. But I will say this. If weekly Sunday worship is part of the habits you've built into your week, then I do think over time it will have a profound effect on shaping your heart, whether you realize it or not. And at the same time, how we think about and how we approach worship can reinforce bad habits. And if we're not experiencing rest in our worship, then perhaps maybe some of us have developed poor habits when it comes to worship. See, there's this book uh, by a Christian philosopher that I read a few months ago named Jamie Smith, and he came out with a book called You Are What You Love. And in this book, he's basically talking about the same thing I'm talking about in terms of the importance of cultivating and forming good spiritual habits and its effect in shaping the desires of our hearts. And one of the things he does is he gives a little critique about how modern Christians tend to view and understand worship. And he says, you know, contemporary Christians oftentimes tend to view worship primarily as an expression of our devotion to God. And because of that, the ultimate focus on worship uh, easily tends to focus on us. And he says, you know, not that it's bad to have right contemporary music that focuses on the subjective, but he says, you know, so much of the music that is written uh, oftentimes focuses on how we feel or what we do or what we want. But here's what he says. Worship works from the top down. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms and desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is something that God does to us. Worship is a heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. If you have this mentality, I need to come to church on Sundays in order to be a good Christian, uh, I would encourage you to not think in those lights. But I would encourage this. We all need rest, and we all need to experience rest. And the way that happens is when we come and worship all of us need our hearts to be recalibrated because when we're living Monday through Saturday, uh, we're living in the midst of other kinds of habits that are constantly going to be tugging and shaping our hearts. These desires and these things need to be recalibrated. And again, it happens here in Sunday worship as we come and as we focus not on us, not on how we feel, not on our expression to God, but ultimately upon who God is and ultimately what he gives us and what he does for us. And, you know, in a, in a very practical way, this is one of the things that I hope is communicated in the way that we worship in our liturgy. And I know mo most people don't think about the liturgy, but, you know, I, I think about it a lot, and I wonder how uh, it affects uh, our church and the habits of our church. And one of the things we do is we, we start with a call to worship. And the reason we start with a call to worship is to emphasize that we are not the ones who invite God into our presence, but God is the one who actually invites us to his presence. 
We don't come to worship based on whether or not we feel like it, but we come to worship because God calls us to come and to worship. When we celebrate communion, you come simply to what? To receive. You receive Christ through the elements. And it's not ultimately about what we bring to God and what we give to God, but it's ultimately about what God gives to us through his Son. See, these are some of the ways in which uh, we, we try to reinforce good habits and good focus so that our hearts can be rehabituated. When you think about you know, how, uh, how we worship here today, and uh, you know, one of the critiques that Jamie Smith was giving is you know, sometimes uh, worship can feel uh, very much like a rock concert. And what that does is that trains people to not participate and to engage in worship, but to just sit back and to be entertained. And maybe that's some of us here today. Maybe it's like, you know, if I'm not involved in the worship, then I'm not that important. My participation is not as important here today. But it is, because this is not a concert, and we're not here to listen to music. We're here to, for the singular purpose, to worship God. And in our worship God, to remember that he is the ultimate, Ultimate, he is the one who ultimately gives us rest because he has given us Christ, his son. So I encourage you. You know, if you're, uh, if you're not, you know, Sunday worship is not a weekly habit. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to make it a weekly habit, but I do encourage, try to make it a part of your routine. And again, this is not coming from a place of judgment because this is not something that uh, makes you a, a good Christian. But this is something that I think is important in order for us to shape our hearts and shape the desires of our hearts. You know, a lot of us in the summer are going to be traveling. You know, I'm, my family, myself, we're going to be traveling and we're going to North Carolina. I would say, you know, try to keep the habit of worship on Sundays. And if you're in a different place, you know, find a church and worship with the people of God and prioritize it. You know, in the future, if some of you have kids and some of those uh, kids might have act- sports activities on Sundays, I would encourage you, prioritize worship and say, you know what, worshiping with the people of God is more important than my kid playing a sport. You see, we we have to see these things as important, and uh, it's not going to be easy. And that's why the Bible uses words like strive. We have to strive to enter rest. Uh, It's not going to necessarily come uh, passively to us, and that's why you call it spiritual discipline. I do encourage us, let's continue to make Sunday worship a habit, a routine, because our hearts need to be recalibrated each and every week. And over time, I do think and I do hope that we will see the fruit of what God does in our hearts, maybe not in the immediate, but over time, that God will give us hearts that gradually begin to desire Him and hearts that gradually persevere hearts that begin to see and experience and even desire and want to be here to experience and remember the rest that we have in Christ. Let's pray.